May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The title of today's sermon is At Home with Jesus. All Saints Day is kind of like Easter. It invites us to celebrate the fact that no parting here is final. At least for those who know that Jesus rose from the dead and that we too will rise. Those who confess their hope in the reunion in heaven that is to come. And All Saints Day is a little bit like Pentecost. When the Spirit was poured out on thousands who had done nothing worthy of such an anointing. Salvation was given to them as to us and to those who have gone on before us. Given, not earned. All Saints Day reminds us of the great crowd of faithful witnesses who surround us and await us. We know the faces of many in that crowd. Often their story has shaped our story. Together we have focused on the God who made us, redeemed us, and has never forgotten and refuses to forsake us. And this year I've been captured by the thought, oh, for a couple of weeks already, that All Saints Day is about being home with Jesus. Whether we are still those who are blessed under the, the rubrics of the Beatitudes or those who have been called to an eternal rest, the saints are at rest. The saints are at home with Jesus. You've heard the phrases, home is where the heart is. Or Robert Frost told us that home is where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. I've often heard that home is where you're from. Or home is where most of your friends and relatives live. Where you know the most people. By every one of those definitions, heaven is my home. It's there that a place has been prepared for me, a place more perfect than anywhere I've lived, more sophisticated than Chicago, more real than rural Nebraska, older than Baltimore, brighter, more exciting, and more diverse than Las Vegas. I've lived some pretty cool places. None of them holds a candle to where I will live. The author of the book of Revelation has seen that place. And while he was forbidden to tell us some of the things that he saw there, he was commanded to reveal the rest. As we heard in our first reading this morning. And what he does share, he shares in images and sometimes the images don't seem to translate exactly to our own imaginations. I don't know about you, but my concept of heaven 
has shifted over the years. Sometimes the images mean more to me than at other times. Sometimes there's a greater perspective. I've often thought that the reason that God doesn't tell us exactly what heaven is like is that once we get there, it'll all be covered. But in the meantime, we need these glimpses, these images of heaven to sustain us because we're still going through the great tribulation. We still have doctor's appointments and taxes and people who disappoint us and uncertainties and things that break. We still have people who are not always happy that we have decided or that we have been chosen to be people of God. And so God in his grace gives us these images to sustain us. And what, what he does share, well, let's talk about a little bit of it today. Because even though we get frustrated that there are things about heaven that God never tells us in clear and unrevocable, straightforward words, we can rejoice in the beautiful truth that he has revealed. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. Some of you haven't had kids, but everybody here has been a kid, so far as I know. There are no automatons in, or anything in the audience today. So we probably remember getting hurt or feeling sad or being scared and just wanting to bury our face in mom's or dad's shoulder or to have an adult come and, and comfort us and wipe every tear from our eye. Perhaps some of you have done that for your own kids. I had a little thing I used to do when the kids were crying. If just holding them on your lap and, and hugging them, if that didn't do it, then I would wipe the tear from their face with my finger and I'd put it in my shirt pocket. And the kids would always stop crying and they'd say, what are you doing? And I'm say, I would always say, I'm saving those tears. Your emotions are precious to me. I'm saving those tears. And the kids would have reacted appropriately and they'd say, you're crazy. <laughs> but they weren't crying anymore. God will one day wipe every tear from our eye. I, I include that reading in almost every funeral that I've ever done. We who are the people of God belong to that great crowd that never again will hunger, never again will thirst, that will be provided shelter, that have a place that's prepared for us, a place where God himself will wipe every tear from our eye. We are the people who belong to that great crowd that stands before God and are being taken care of by our Heavenly Father himself and enjoy his loving care day and night. 
When John saw them, he asked the angel guide to explain who they were. He said that they're the ones who've come out of the great ordeal, the great suffering, our translation had it, or in the, the words of the Revised Standard Version and the NIV, the great tribulation. These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. What's the great tribulation? We've already talked about that. The great tribulation is this life. A life where we are sinned against. And so, so often to our own regret, a life where we ourselves have to see ourselves as the sinners. We have been sinned against and we have sinned. But that great crowd has washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's the image that inspired the Norwegian hymn writer to write about the host arrayed in white like thousand snow-clad mountains bright. Those who are at home with God are clad in spotless robes. These robes are a symbol of purity and of a pure heart because there's no impurity amongst these people. The righteousness in which they stand is the righteousness of Jesus. Because it doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say that these people have kept their robes white all their lives. They've gotten them dirty. The people that make it into heaven are not the ones who have kept themselves from messing up. They're the ones who have been washed. They are the ones who have been washed. They are the ones who have been washed. They are the ones who have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That's why they're clean. And I'm so glad that John wrote that down because that's my only hope. I mess up a lot. I get dirty all the time. But in Christ Jesus, I am washed clean all the time. And it's very helpful to me to hear the words of St. Paul which basically tell me no one gets to live in heaven who deserves to be there. Consider what people these are, this great crowd that stretches beyond the horizon. The great persons that we read about in the Bible. David, great king of Israel, who was an adulterer, and later when his adultery was about to be disclosed, became a traitor to his own country by giving an order that his army should directly and intentionally put themselves in an indefensible position so that one of David's own personal enemies would get killed. Or consider the great apostle Paul. He was an accessory to murder. When the mob stoned the deacon Stephen to death, Paul stood by and watched and agreed with everything that was being done. Or consider the Apostle Peter. He was a traitor, not to his country, but to his Lord himself. At the most crucial moment of Jesus' life, Peter denied that he had ever known him 
and then ran away to weep. These are the kinds of people who are giants in heaven. Sinners. Redeemed sinners, all. And they've been redeemed because their robes have been washed and made clean in the blood of Jesus. And their robes are not white because they kept them clean. They had gotten them dirty, very dirty, just like I say that I have. But they're washed in the blood of the Lamb just like I am. And that Lamb in the book of Revelation is Christ Jesus. He's the Lamb who was sacrificed for our sins. In everyday language, we talk about someone who is a scapegoat. This is not news to any of you. A scapegoat is somebody you decide you're going to pin all of the blame on. Let them take all of the punishment and all of the guilt. Jesus deserved none of it and took all of it. He never did anything wrong, but he took the blame for all of us. He died for all of our sins. This way he takes the guilt upon himself and washes our guilt away. Do you have a personal saint? A personal faith hero? When you speak of this person, you might even say that they were a saint because there was some quality of personality or manner that seemed to make them nobler kinder, wiser, more dedicated to others than those of lesser clay. I could fill a school bus with those whose faith was evident, whose example steers my decisions, whose lives and testimony nudge me toward being a better man less of a hypocrite, a more genuine Christian. If you've been blessed to know such people, do what I do. Seeing their good works, go and do thou likewise. But give glory to God, the Father who is in heaven. I love something that Dr. Reverend Dr. Eric Herman wrote about this text from Revelation about, uh, oh, I don't know, six or nine years ago. He said, what's remarkable about this scene is how the deeds that were often a measure of the faithfulness of the saints, like feeding the hungry, quenching the thirsty, comforting people, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger... These were all things that typified the people of God, but now they're all things that God is doing for his people directly. Washed and clothed in white robes, God shelters them with his presence, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. It's true, Lutheran reformers always were cautious about our concentrating on good works. But there's nothing wrong with works per se. Do them. Admire them, if you will. But in the end, only the works of God will last. 
the saints around the throne don't cry out, Faithful were we! Great were the sacrifices we made for the Lamb. Admirable virtues, admirable virtues, did we cultivate? No, they cry out, salvation belongs to the Lamb and to the one who sits upon the throne. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Because when all is said and done, it is only the word and work of God that is worthy of celebration. The saints know this, don't you? In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting, amen. I believe in one God, 